Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. This time is full of so many decisions. Uh, decisions like whether to get a real tree or a fake tree or any tree at all. Uh, whether to put up Christmas lights or not put up Christmas lights. To, to decide what do you want to have for Christmas morning breakfast and lunch and dinner. The most stressful decision for me during the Christmas season is what to get my kids for Christmas. Um, I have four kids, and so every year I have a Christmas spreadsheet. I'm curious, uh, do any of you have a Christmas spreadsheet out there? Okay, one, two, three other, all right, thank you. If you have multiple children, uh, I suggest a Christmas spreadsheet. And the reason why I have a Christmas spreadsheet is to make sure I get all my kids the exact same number of gifts and to make sure that I'm spending about the same amount of money on them. And then also because I'm trying to plan out what are those special gifts that they really, really want. Christmas is full of decisions. Uh, it has been said that we make about 70 decisions a day. I think it's far more than that. But if we go with 70 a day, that means we make 25,000 decisions a year, which means we make about 2 million decisions in a lifetime. Life is full of decisions. But not all decisions are created equal, right? You made a decision on what you would eat for breakfast this morning, which is important. But it's not nearly as important as the career path you choose or who you choose to marry or whether you decide to have kids. Those are much bigger decisions. And so there's kind of this pyramid of decisions that lead up to one ultimate decision that all of us have to make. And that is the decision that is put before us today in this passage. And it is a decision that is bigger than every other decision, bigger than every other choice, because it not only affects all the other major choices in our life, it actually affects eternity. So if you would, please open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 24. If you don't have a Bible, there should be read one in a seat in front of you. Go ahead and grab that, and we'll be on page 198 and 199 in Joshua chapter 24. Uh, we have reached the final chapter of the book of Joshua, and I don't know about you, but with, for me, it comes with a little bit of sadness I've really uh, been blessed by going through this book uh, as the Lord has proved to us his faithfulness and his might and his salvation and called us to be strong and courageous in a world that is just going crazy. And so it has been a blessing to me, and I hope it has been to you as well. Last week, in the second to last chapter, we read about how Joshua gathered together the leaders of Israel. And when he brought them together, he gave them this final exhortation to be careful to be careful to love the Lord, to not drift away from the Lord or to lose the love and feeling, as we sang about last week. And he says, be careful to love the Lord because no one loves you like the Lord loves you. And Joshua tells us how to do this. So we're to love the Lord by obeying his word and clinging to him like a child clings to 
their parent. And if we don't do this, it will bring upon us a life of misery. This week, Joshua expands the audience. He gathers together not only the leaders of Israel, but also all the people of Israel together. And as he approaches his final breaths in this world, he wants to remind them of the most important choice they face on a daily basis. Today, we're going to just start with verse one because there is some context in there that we want to explain before we move on. Uh, But keep your Bibles open and we'll make our way through the rest of the chapter. So let's start Joshua chapter 24, just verse one for now. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful that you put this book of Joshua in the Bible to remind us of what an awesome God you are, of what a gracious and loving God you are, of how we can be strong and courageous in this world because we don't go alone. You go with us everywhere we go. Lord God, pray today that as we look at this passage, again, you would renew our spirits to find the joy of our salvation in you, our God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I've had the privilege of doing many uh, weddings right here on the stage, right where I'm standing right now. Uh, But a few years ago, I conducted a unique wedding in that it was for a couple who had been married several decades. They wanted to get together to uh, have a ceremony to renew their covenant vows to one another, to say, I still choose you to be my husband. I still choose you to be my wife. I still pledge to be with you till death do we part, and I still pledge with you to be death till we part. There was a covenant renewal ceremony. And what we find out is Joshua chapter 24 is exactly that. It is a covenant renewal ceremony. As a matter of fact, in your Bible, no matter what Bible we have, there's probably in small italics above chapter 24, covenant renewal ceremony or something like that. And what we find here is that in his final moments of life, this is Joshua's supreme passion that he would lead Israel in a covenant renewal ceremony with their God. That, that they would say to the Lord, once again, I choose you to be my God because God has always chosen them to be his people. Now, there is some really interesting stuff here in this first verse. Um, you see this covenant renewal begins simply by them presenting themselves before the Lord. And that's how a covenant renewal starts. And so you being here today to present yourself before the Lord is a covenant renewal when you come to him. Right? You don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to make everything perfect. You just come to him with a sincere heart. Now, what is interesting and certainly intentional about this covenant renewal ceremony is its location. It takes place at Shechem. Shechem is very important to the history of Israel. Back in Genesis chapter 12, which is 600 years before Joshua chapter 24, We read this. It will be on the screen for you. Joshua 12, verses 5 through 7. It says, And Abram, who's the father of their faith, took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, which is outside the promised land, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan, which is the promised land. And then it says, Abram passed through. Let's see. That's a little bit. Okay. Verse 6. Abram passed through the land, to the place at Shechem, right? The same place this happened, the Oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. 
Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And so when the Lord first brought Abraham, the father of their faith, into the promised land, he brought them to this area of Shechem, where Abraham was promised by God that his descendants would inherit the promised land of Canaan. And there at Shechem, Abraham built the very first altar to the Lord in the promised land. And so here we are hundreds of years later and Joshua gathers the people together to say, look, God has been faithful to his promise. Through the ups and downs of the past hundred years, God has been faithful to make a people from Abraham, to, to, to be present with him and to give them this promised land. And so we come, we come to celebrate God's faithfulness, but also participate in this renewal of the covenant. And what we'll see is that in this, there is, a, there is a liturgy of spiritual renewal that Joshua walks through, a liturgy that can be helpful to you and to me during this Christmas season or any time of the year to once again commit ourselves to the Lord and to set our affections and joys upon him. There are five parts of this liturgy, and I'd encourage you to take a bulletin home and maybe go through this in your own devotional time or with your family during this Christmas season. But the first step of this liturgy of spiritual renewal is to recall your salvation story. And this is exactly what Joshua does here. Look in verse two with me. It says, and Joshua said to all the people, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abram, and Nahor, and they served other gods. And so if you notice, the spiritual story of Israel starts with the original condition of Abraham. This is where all of our salvation stories start. It starts with our spiritual condition before God intervenes into our story. And for Abraham, he was in a faraway land. He was worshiping idols and other gods. He was lost. He was a sinner. This is where Abraham was. But then God intervenes. As we read through verse 3 through 13, this is the Lord speaking to his people through Joshua, and he will use the first person, I, throughout this to show his part in their salvation story. And so I want to give you a little job here, is that as we read through verses 3 through 13, I want you to either underline the word I in your Bible, or I want you to just start counting them on your fingers, okay? So that we can see how the Lord is at work in Israel's salvation story. So let's look, verse 3. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many, which was a miracle because Abraham and Sarah were barren and it wasn't until she was 90 and he was 100 years old that they had their first child, but God was faithful. Continues, I gave him Isaac and to Isaac, I gave Jacob and Esau and I gave Esau to the hill country of Sire to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt and I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it. And afterwards, I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea. And the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And when they cried to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and made the sea come upon them and cover them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. All right, we are up to 10. Now we're going to have to start counting with our toes. Here we go. And you lived in the wilderness a long time. 
Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites, who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you, and I gave them into your hand, and you took possession of the land, and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel. And he sent and invited Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Indeed, he blessed you. So I delivered you out of his hand. And you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho. And the leaders of Jericho fought against you. And also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And I gave them into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you, meaning the fear of the Lord, which drove them out before you, the two kings of the Amorites. It was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you have not labored and cities that you have not built, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. Did you get it? Did you see how many times? The Lord said, I have done this in your salvation story. 18 times in 10 verses. I took you. I gave you. I sent you. I did for you. I brought you out. I delivered you. I blessed you. The Lord's I-ness in our salvation story is distinctly Christian. You see, in every other religion in the world is a mixture of what you do for your salvation and what God does for your salvation. In every other religion, your good has to outweigh your bad in order to be saved. In every other religion, you have to have enough faith. In every other religion, you have to meet God halfway in order for him to save you. You see, salvation in Christianity is distinctly monergistic, meaning that it is from God and by God alone who saves us. And this is great news. It's great news because guess what? Our good works will never outweigh our bad works. We will never have enough faith to save ourselves. And if we have to meet God halfway, he's going to be waiting us for all eternity. Imagine this way. Imagine if you go out for a hike in the wilderness and you're hiking along and you fall off a cliff of some sort. And you fall down and you break your spine and your Apple Watch notices your sudden stop and it calls 911 for you. And the people from 911 call your watch or your phone or whatever, and they start talking to you. They ask how it's going. You go, oh, it's bad. I'm paralyzed. I can't move. And they say, don't worry. Don't worry. We got a helicopter, and we're going to fly out and rescue you. But could you meet us halfway? Could you just, like, crawl over a couple mountains? You'd be like, no, I'm par- I can't. See, a halfway salvation is no salvation at all. You want in that moment a monergistic salvation. You want them to fly the helicopter. You want them to put you into the crater. You want them to lift you up into the helicopter. You want them to carry you away to the hospital. You want them to be the finisher and accomplisher of your salvation. There is good news for Christians is that we do not have a halfway savior. We have a full savior. And that the Lord God at Christmas time sent his son Jesus, not halfway to the world, but all the way into the depravity of our world, the messiness of our world, to save sinners like you and me. He went to the cross to accomplish our salvation, not in part, but in full by paying for all of our sin on the cross. And then rising on the third day to give us newness of life. And so as we look at this liturgy 
of spiritual renewal. We're called to, to retell and to remember, to recall our spectacular salvation story. And through our spectacular salvation story, to remember that God is always the hero time and time and time and time again. So that's the first step. The second step to this liturgy of spiritual renewal is to recommit your prior commitment. In the last chapter, in Joshua chapter 23, Joshua says to the leaders of Israel, he says, you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. And so Joshua is not speaking to a people who have forsaken the faith or, 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 or you know, rebelled against God. He's speaking to people who have clung to the Lord. And yet Joshua calls them to recommit to their commitment to the Lord. Now, just as you kind of counted the word I in the first 13 verses, I want you to count the word serve, okay? Count the word serve in verses 14 through 18. Verse 14 says, Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Again, Joshua was not a perfect man, but he was a faithful man to God. And yet here at 110 years of age, when he is about to die, he does not look back to a former profession of faith and rest in that. No, he says, today, this day, I will choose to serve the Lord, me and my household. Continues in verse 16 through 18 as we see the people's response to his exhortation. Verse 16, then the people answered, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went. And among all the peoples through whom we passed, and the Lord drove out, the, drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land, therefore we also will serve, that's the eighth time, the Lord, for he is our God. If I could paraphrase the way that Israel responds to Joshua's exhortation, they say, of course we will serve the Lord as our God. Of course we will. We, we've seen all of the miraculous works of salvation that he has done for us, how he has you know, stopped the sun and parted the, the Jordan River and how he brought down the walls of Jericho and how he defeated all these armies before us. Of course we will serve and follow the Lord. It would be foolish to do anything else. But notice here, what's really interesting about this passage is in that verse 15, Joshua says, choose this day whom you will serve. Joshua does not say, choose if you will serve. It's, it's not an option. He's not saying, you know, choose if you want to serve the Lord or not serve the Lord, right? What, what he's saying is that you will serve somebody. There is a God. There is a Lord in your life whom you serve every day. And so the choice isn't whether or not to serve, it's, it's whom you will serve. 
You know, there's a song by the great theologian Bob Dylan, and uh, I'm not going to sing it today, sorry, but it, uh, it goes like this. He says, you may be an ambassador to England or France. You may like to gamble. You might like to dance. You may be a heavyweight champion of the world. You might be a socialite with a long string of pearls, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Might be a rock and roll addict prancing on the stage. You might have drugs at your command, woman in a cage. You may be a businessman or some high degree thief. They may call you doctor or they may call you chief, but you're gonna have to serve somebody. You may be a preacher preaching spiritual pride. Maybe a city councilman taking bribes on the side. Maybe working in a barber shop, you might know how to cut hair. You may be somebody's mistress, maybe somebody's heir but you're gonna have to serve somebody. Yes, you are. You're gonna have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're gonna have to serve somebody. I feel like Bob Dylan plagiarized Joshua. I don't know about you, but that's almost identical to what Joshua is saying in this passage, is that all of us are servants of someone or something. And so let me ask Who or what are you tempted to make your functional God that you serve on a daily basis? What consumes your thoughts and your passions? Where do you run when you are overwhelmed and stressed out? Where do you run for for salvation? Maybe it's to shopping. Maybe it's eating. Maybe a hobby. Maybe it's your kids or your boyfriend or your girlfriend. Maybe it could be working out, or the Packers. Maybe it could be something even more destructive, like some addictions, like pills, or alcohol, or electronics. Whatever or whoever masters your heart, and your mind, and your passions is the God of your life whom you serve. And so Joshua says, not, not tell me about the decision you made 10 years ago. He says, choose this day. Choose today whom you will serve. And he says, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. The third step to this liturgy of spiritual renewal is to repent of your hidden idols. Um, Israel just made this amazing, encouraging proclamation of faith. Of course we will worship and serve the Lord alone. Of course we will. But Joshua gives a very surprising and startling response to their proclamation. Look at verse 19. But Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. And so again, just to get the picture, Joshua says, choose this day whom you will serve. And they all say, we will serve the Lord. And Joshua says, no, you won't. (laughs) What's going on? Let's keep reading. Verse 20, if you, forsake, if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. And so they're reaffirming their choice to follow the Lord as God. But now Joshua lets the elephant out of the bag. He reveals their secret sin. Verse 23, he said, Then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord 
the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God, we will serve. In his voice, we will obey. Evidently, during this period of time where Israel was victorious through the promised land, conquering all of these foreign people in the land, during that time they were gathering some of the idols of the people of the land, and Joshua says, get rid of them. Get rid of them. During community group, when we were looking at this passage, one of our members of community group said something that I think all of us are thinking, which is, how could these people be so foolish, right? Like, like they have had front row seats to see the glory and the salvation of God as he has, again, worked before them to bring down the walls of Jericho and to bring triumph over these militaries that were far greater than them and to send hailstones down to kill their enemies. They've seen all of these great and wonderful, spectacular things of salvation. How foolish could they be to hide these idols in their tents? And then, of course, the very next moment, we think together, good thing we're not like them, right? Christian, you have experienced this stupendous, spectacular salvation that everything in Joshua points to. You've experienced the salvation that comes from God in which he has triumphed over Satan and our sin upon the cross. You have seen how he has grown you and changed you and transformed you and freed you and how he has done that for your friends and your churchmen. You've seen the spectacular works of his salvation. And yet what idols are hidden in the tent of your heart? What idols are left to be exposed? You see, there is this tension. I don't know if you ever feel this when, when, when we sing these songs like, Lord, I give you all of my heart, all of my soul. Like we sing it, we pledge it, but we also feel a little bit like, you know, deceptive because we know, we know that we don't do that great of a job of that. In this passage, he's saying, will you serve the Lord? Yes, we will serve the Lord. But they have idols in their tents, hidden. And so the question is, is how do we handle this paradox? This paradox of, of, Lord, I pledge myself to fully follow you. But I also know, even if I don't know what they are, I know there are some idols secretly hidden in my heart. How, what do we do with this? Well, God has given us a gift, Christian. Uh, another gift that is unique to Christianity, and it's the gift of repentance, that, that we can discover the idols in our heart again and again, and like Joshua commands us to do, to throw them out, to put them away, and to return to the Lord and serve God alone. This past week, I was sitting with a friend, and he attends a different church in town, and he's an elder there. He, he loves the Lord. Just, I love this guy. He's great. And he said, you know, the, the, the thing I, I, is most difficult for me about being an elder is that sometimes I have to get in, up in front of people and talk. And, and I don't like doing that because, um, because I don't. I don't like people seeing me. And he goes, but, but when I do that, what happens is that God exposes my idol of a pleasing man. He shows me that I fear man more than I fear him. It's an idol that is revealed when I take that step of faith and, and do this. And then I have to repent and give it to the Lord. And that's a picture of what we are called to do. As we walk through our life, as we discover our fears and our passions, what often happens is our idols rise to the stop. We discover the idols in our heart. And when we discover them, we have to cast them aside through repentance and turn to the Lord. 
And so just to recap, here's the, the liturgy of spiritual renewal for Christians this Christmas season. One is recall and retell your spectacular story of salvation. The second is recommit your prior commitment this day to serve the Lord. The third is repent of the hidden idols in your heart by throwing them out and turning back to the Lord. The fourth step, and this is a lot today, I know it's a lot to cover today, but the fourth step to this liturgy of spiritual renewal is to re-remember your covenant commitment. Look at verse 25 with me. He says, so Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone and set it up under the terebinth, which is a large tree, that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. So just so you can have a visual of it, here's a picture of a terebinth tree. You can see you can fit a lot of people or a lot of things underneath it. And, and something that is really fascinating is if you go back to Genesis chapter 35, when God uh, takes Jacob, who's the grandson of, of Abraham, and changes his name from Jacob to Israel, Jacob tells his household to put away their foreign gods. And this is what it says in Genesis 35, verse 4. It's just very interesting. It says, so they gave to Jacob all their foreign gods that they had and the rings that they were in their ears. Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree, same tree that was near Shechem, the exact same city. Now, I'm, I'm guessing it's not the exact same tree, but the symbolism is overwhelming. They buried their idols under this terebinth tree. Maybe, maybe Joshua did the same thing, and then he puts this large stone over it as if they can't dig it back up, right, their idols. He puts this stone over it, and why does he put this stone over it? Well, we learn in verse 27 and 28. It says, And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness against us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore, it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. And so Joshua sets this stone up as a reminder of their covenant commitment to the Lord. A reminder that if they unrepentantly choose to chase after other gods, that they will bring misery and destruction upon themselves. We do something similar here at Jacob's Well Church. Uh, during baptism, we usually give all of the participants of baptism a bottle like this to take home and to put on their shelf. And they're to put it on their shelf as a reminder to them of who they belong to, who they have dedicated their life to, who they have made a covenant with. Maybe for you, it's not a bottle. Maybe you have a cross. Maybe you have a ring. Maybe you have a piece of scripture in your house. But there is something there to remind you of your covenant commitment to the Lord. This is important to do. The fifth step. The fifth step to this liturgy of spiritual renewal and final step is to rest in your promised peace. Look at verse 29 with me. He says, After these things, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old. And they buried him in his own inheritance at Timnath Sarah, which is in the hill country of Ephraim, the tribe Joshua belonged to, north of the mountain of Gash. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work that the Lord did for Israel. And so in some ways, the covenant renewal that Joshua is doing here bears fruit for the generation that comes after him. Verse 32, 
As for the bones of Joseph, which the people of Israel brought up from Egypt, they buried them at Shechem in the piece of land that Jacob, his father, bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of money about 500 years before this. It became an inheritance of the descendants of Joseph. For those of you who are not familiar with this story, uh, Isaac had 12 sons and, and uh, Joseph was one of them and they sold him into slavery. He went down to Egypt. He rose up to the second command in power in Egypt. Um, the rest of Israel came down in a famine and he gave them food and he forgave them and gave them grace. And then he gave them like the, the best part of the land of Egypt. And so while they were in this bountiful land of Egypt and while, while Joseph was in charge of all of Egypt, uh, just below Pharaoh, Joseph makes a promise to them, a promise saying that God will come and that God will visit them and God will deliver them out of the land of Egypt and take them back to the promised land of Canaan. And he says, God will surely visit you and carry, and when, you, and when this happens, you shall carry my bones from here. Sure enough, God did just as he was promised. He delivered them out of Egypt and they carried Joseph's bones back up to the promised lands and buried in the sacred place of Shechem. Finally, verse 33 and Eleazar, who's the spiritual leader of Israel, the son of Aaron died, and they buried him at Gibeah, the town of Phinehas, his son, which has been given him in the hill country of Ephraim. And so you hear, here you have, at the end of Joshua, the burial of three men who have chosen to serve the Lord on a daily basis. Not perfect, but truly faithful to the Lord. And they are raid, laid to rest in the promised land, a land that they had longed for over 500 years to come to fruition. Now, why did these men, why were they so, why were they so decisive on wanting to be married in the promised land, being buried in the promised land? Why was it such a big deal for them? Well, it's because the promised land of Canaan was the land that they had longed for but it was also a foreshadowing of the greater promised land they were destined for. In Hebrews chapter four, we read this. It says, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, I'll skip a little bit here because there's a bunch, but verse three, for he who had believed entered their rest. And so in some ways, when we trust in Christ, we enter a rest of being at peace with God, but that's not all the rest we have for us. Verse eight, for if Joshua had given them rest, in other words, when they took their promised land, if they fully had rest, which they did not, it says God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. And so these men of faith wanted to be buried in the promised land because the promised land was a slice of heaven for them, for the heaven that they were bound for. You know, at Jacobswell Church, we have about 17 acres here on this property and I might get in trouble for saying this by the elders. I'm not sure. We, they haven't said I could share this with you. But as we think about the different things we want to do with this property, one of the things that has really piqued our interest is building a graveyard on this property where members of the church could be buried if they would choose to do so. And the reason why this is so attractive to us is because 3340 Lineville Road, this property has been a slice of heaven on earth for us. 
You see, when we come together at church on Sunday mornings, together we get to experience the joy of the Lord, the love of the Lord, the grace of the Lord. We are ministered to by the Lord. We get to, we get to fellowship with the people of God. And this is a special place for us because this is the closest to heaven we will ever get when we come here at church on Sunday mornings. It is a foretaste of the heaven we are destined for. And so your final step in the liturgy of spiritual renewal is to rest in the gospel in this life, but also look to your final rest in the promised land of heaven. So just to recap, and then I have a very short conclusion, this liturgy of renewal, recall and retell your spectacular story of salvation. Recommit your commitment this day to serve the Lord. Repent of the hidden idols in your heart and throw them out and turn to the Lord. Re-remember your covenant commitment to serve the Lord alone and rest in the promised peace of the gospel until you rest at full in heaven forever. Again, I know it's been a lot um, run out of time, so just a short, short ending. Um, Much of this book of Joshua, uh, parts that I was honestly scared to go through at first is about the physical battles of Israel, how they have fought to gain possession of the promised land to establish the kingdom of God here on earth. But what is so interesting is that in the last two chapters of the book of Joshua, his focus is on a greater battle. It is not a battle for land, but it is a battle for our heart. In in a forward to mere Christianity, Catherine Norris says this. She says, the great religious struggle is not fought on a spectacular battleground, but within the ordinary human heart, when every morning we awake and feel the pressure of the day crowding in on us, and we must decide, we must choose what sort of immortals we wish to be. Friends, choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful that you provide this liturgy of renewal for hearts like ours that drift, that grow cold, that grow complacent. We're so thankful you give us a way to come and recommit our commitment to you, God. Lord, we pray that during this Christmas season that that we would not be so distracted by all of the the activities and the the, the to-do list, God, that that we would forget the most important choice of Christmas, which is to focus on you and to worship you and to enjoy you. And so God, help us to do that. Help us to choose to serve you today, tomorrow, and every day, the rest of our life. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.